Hello, friends. Hello in particular to Kenny and his lovely wife. Uh, Kenny informed me the other day that his wife was unhappy that I did not start a pod or that I did not start a podcast with Hello Friends. And that really means something <laughs> to me that our intros stick. I'm joined tonight by Josh Bowe, fellow editor at MavsMoneyball.com. And we're here to talk about a lot of stuff because we've had a lot of great content at Mavs Moneyball. But first, Josh, how are you? I'm pretty good. We've both, uh, you know, dipping into the person. We've both had pretty hellish, I think, personal, you know, real job days. So uh, it's nice to be able to unwind in the evening with a little basketball talk, have some fun and and wake up tomorrow for to battle another day. Exactly. And now we're kind of on the relentless content march. Yes. Um, Sunday was Fan Jam where Lauren Gunn went and had, uh, I think, she had a great time uh, covering it's, it's kind of a practice for everyone, both media and players alike. And she kind of had five really, I enjoyed her reaction piece uh, when she turned it into me. She's like, I'm just so tired. I don't know if this is good. And I'm like, this is great. This is the kind of stuff that people, you know, this is why people come to our site to, to read, read her thoughts on stuff. And, you know, I don't think you and I have much to say about fan jam other than the fact that I am glad people are excited about the team um it's fun to overreact to things like that is what i'll say yeah that's fine uh i know i was a little bit of a grumpy gus in the slack uh, i don't yeah. know what's going on with me like uh, it's been bad i need to get that out of my system <laughs> but like i but uh yeah you're right it's it's exciting you know especially after the off season was you know a little contentious <laughs> a little uh might be not doing enough justice there but like for people to be genuinely excited you know for new basketball despite the fact that there was some qualms about what they did this off season. Uh, that's always, that's always good to see. doesn't seem like there's like a dejection, you know, like a looming cloud from the off season uh, over the entire fan base, which is just good. Well, and then the only other kind of newsworthy item today was the NBA GM survey came out. I've not paid much attention to it just because of the personal work day, but I saw a tweet right before I got on um, someone I follow. Uh, her name is at SJ basketball eight tweeted. <laughs> NBA fan 2235 has been crying all day and calling GMs casuals because they'd rather not they'd rather build around Luca than Giannis. So if anyone doesn't get that, basically Luca was the most like the player GMs, like 43%, I think it was, something like that, said they'd rather build around Luca as the like their number one pick. And it's 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 kind of obvious, not because Luca's the best, but why, Josh? Because he's 22 years old and he's basically like a LeBron offensive level player at 22 years old. Like you're going to get seven, you're getting eight more years before he even turns 30. Like, yeah, that's what, that's what GMs are going to pick. The guy that basically guarantees you won't get fired for eight years. Cause he's so good. You're always going to be like at least the first round playoff team. Right. Yes. That's what right. the GMs want. It's, it's, it's basically where you are. And so with that, you know, um, I think we should do kind of a, a pivot into, oh, and also this is my favorite piece of news from the day. And I just needed to write it. Luca uh, Doncic's team has <laughs> uh, put in copyrights for NFTs with the title of, uh, or a platform called the Lucaverse for, to create, sell and trade NFTs and another trademark for Lucamorph for a brand of NFTs in the field of sports. 
granted, people buy lockup trademarks to lockup trademarks. This happens all the time, but it just made me laugh. And I really wanted to write Lucamorph because I know just enough Mavs fans who are younger than me that are really into like Pokemon and stuff. And I'm like, this is incredible. And then Lucaverse allowed me to write the title into the Lucaverse. Doncic stakes out trademarks for NFTs. I don't want to talk about any of this because it's kind of, it's, it's both above and below my wavelength. So I think we should just pivot into the other things that were on the site today. We had some really fun, uh, we've had two really fun articles from you. We've had some player previews and I think we should talk about them. Um, you have been writing a series, the four biggest questions. And in the past, you've written this series kind of in one mega article, but then I made you break it up, which allowed you to write even more words, which is hilarious <laughs> and fantastic. Yes. And the first one you wrote, um, which everyone should go read if they haven't is what does a Jason kid coached Mavericks team look like? And I'm just going to give you the floor to talk about what you found in your research. Uh, I think the thing that I found was just how how much of a wild card Jason Kidd really is on this team. And I think thinking more about it and doing research, you know, we've been used to Rick Carlisle for, oh my gosh, what was it, 12 or 13 years? And mm -hmm. when a coach is there for so long, I mean, the Mavericks had an identity. Yep. Uh, after a while and you kind of knew what to expect you know you kind of hear the things a rick carlo coach team is going to excel at we know what they're not going to be great at uh depending on the personnel uh but you know regardless of personnel here's what we can expect you know we can expect a progressive offense that uh trends to the norm low turnovers slower pace lots of three-pointers at least you know as as things went on you know rick has coached so long he's been a part of several different generations and one of his hallmarks, I think, you know, the reason why him and Greg Popovich have been coaching so long, uh, so continuously is because I think they've both been very adaptive. Like it's, it's crazy to think, you know, Rick was the coach of those slug it out Pistons and Pacers teams. And now, you know, when he was with the Mavericks, they were one of the most progressive three point shooting teams in the entire league. So like, yeah, Rick has an identity, but it's also, he was also very amicable or not amicable. What do you mean? Uh, very dynamic. Uh, in terms of adapting his style to fit what needed to be done. Uh, and with when I went in with Kid, you know, I just kind of saw a trend of a coach that, I don't know, just when he was the head coach of the Bucks from 2014 to 2018, you know, that's right when the Warriors started their dominance and kind of changed a, a lot of ways we thought about basketball. But even when you consider that, uh, you know, his teams were very backward, at least offensively. Uh, they were near last in three-point shots, very slow pace, really wanted to attack the rim, which is not a bad quality, but just had a very old-school kind of way of going about it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot has been talked about with Kidd, uh, those Bucks rosters, is to give him some credit, they weren't very good rosters. I know he had mm -hmm. Giannis, but he didn't have Giannis as the Giannis we know right now. You know, he did have Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon, but that was, you know, early on, earlier in their careers. They're much better players now than they were back then. Uh, and outside of those pieces, like they had a lot of really young, raw players. You know, they didn't have Brooke Lopez, which is going to obviously change the way you space the floor and how you play offense when your center is, when you have a seven, you know, one center that can, that can shoot threes like Brooke Lopez. So there's some caveats there that I think is that are important. But also, I think the main thing I wanted to put in the piece was I went back and looked at how the Mavericks played when they were tanking those three seasons, and they were top 
10, you know, top five and top five, top six in three point attempts per game, even when they sucked and they had no shooters. So I think the thing uh, that I wanted to emphasize was just because you don't have the, the talent in place to, to do what we would say are, you know, good things that make up a good offense or, or play a good style. Uh, you could still do them, just you don't necessarily have the players to execute it, but you could still implement a vision or a system so that when you do get the talent, then things click. That's kind of what mm-hmm. the Process 76ers did. Those Brett Brown Process Sixers were some of the most god-awful basketball teams I've ever watched in my entire life, but they always ended the season you know, near tops and shots at the rim, and three-point attempts and, and, and all the, the good factors that you like to see in, in what should be an elite or efficient offense. He just had terrible players. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, Joel Embiid turns into who he is. Ben Simmons is good. They get some more, you know, Tobias Harris. They get some more good good talent, and they take off. Right. So that's the thing is, like, because I've heard that a lot. Like, when I talk about kid, it's like, well, you know, his teams weren't that good. I'm like, okay, but you can still play a style. You know, that doesn't always have to dictate the way you play if you want to implement something. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, but then, you know, the other thing is, you know, he last was a head coach in 2018. I mean, we're that's three years ago. Uh, yeah, he literally been, didn't coach for a year. That's been – yeah. Like, he wasn't on anyone's roster. He was in the no. wilderness because he had such a bad coaching finish. Like, that's something that I don't think is mentioned enough. It's, and he was forced upon the Lakers coaching staff. Like that yeah. was not, that was an arranged marriage. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a while since we've seen him as a head coach mm-hmm. of a team. So I don't want to make a definitive statement either way. I feel like that's sure. really foolish, um, sure. but you know, but just looking at what the data that we have, you know, those bucks teams didn't shoot a lot. She didn't shoot a lot of threes. Uh, but I think the other point is that offense wasn't really the problem. They finished, 10th and 13th his last two seasons as a Bucks coach in offense so you're like so the issue has been defense they were uh, a bottom bottom defense for his last three years as a Bucks coach and it started off well and they they were they played a very aggressive trapping scheme trapping the ball handles in the pick and roll uh being very aggressive with their help defense and it worked the first season and then it, i think uh, nba coaches got enough tape on it we're like okay let's let's take care of this like the the league is too talented offensively for you to play a style like that right. for multiple seasons and teams just kind of ate them up uh in the back line with corner threes and dunks and layups uh they were one of the you know they allowed a ton of threes a game and they allowed a ton of shots at the rim per game like that's not a good formula and teams just absolutely torched them and i actually think that's the re- you know along with all the uh you know, personal, you know, personnel and how, we, you know, chemistry and how he interacted with the team in terms of the on-court product, you know, the defense was just so bad and he was so, so staunch, like it never changed. Like he was very adamant with that style. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was coached with the Lakers. I don't know how much input he had on the defensive end because you have Frank Vogel. Vogel right. That's defense is kind of his specialty, but the Lakers had a lot of good defensive players and they played two bigs and they kind of used their length and, and kind of bullied people a little bit. Uh, I think we could say the Mavericks don't have a roster of guys that could do that uh, up and down the floor. Maybe a couple of guys could do that. So we'll see. Um, But the biggest thing is, what has Jason Kidd learned as a head coach? How much of an impact is he going to have on a Mavericks offense that has been pretty historic the last couple of seasons? And has he adapted? Or is there a chance that he could be a, a, a net negative there? And I think maybe I'm being a little too doom and gloomy, 
and I will say to counter my own doom and gloominess a little bit, is that uh, a team as veteran laden as the Mavericks and with a mega star offensive fulcrum like Luka, like there's only so much that Jason Kidd could do. Right, right. Well, you, yeah, go, you, sorry, go ahead. You, no, you, you took a joke from me that I was sitting on the whole time because <laughs> I was, I wanted to say, well, it's great. You know, you're talking about how poor his teams were defensively. And I said, well, it's great. He's in, I, I was just thinking in my head, it's great. He's inherited such a defensive laden roster. <laughs> right. um, and he keeps talking about defense because I'm just like this. I don't know. Start really take... center. <laughs> well, okay. And that's actually a, a perfect pivot for your next article. And I wanted to talk about this. One of my conclusions that I, I I've, I've come to while thinking about this team is at the start of the 1920 season. So two years ago, Lucas second year in the league, the Mavericks came out firing on all cylinders and, and started off 16 and five. Like they were destroying teams mm-hmm. and then injuries started happening and then you know luca had ankle issues and then dwight powell tore his achilles after uh chris Dapps had been out for almost four weeks and i sort of have settled on the fact that regardless of who is in charge and and really the answer is mark cuban but i think mark cuban and the team building that has gone on and particularly with this starting lineup that's coming out, because it's the same starting lineup from 2019, 2020 in that 16 and five stretch. I think the Mavericks are chasing that 16 and five feeling where they thought they had broken the code. Um, talking around with certain basketball people that I know that are writers, the Mavericks thought they had uh, uh, found the next market inefficiency with how they were playing in that first quarter of the year. And I think they're chasing it. And I think that leads directly into your um, next article, which was the second question um, is, uh, will the Mavericks break the offensive efficiency record again? And I, once again, will see the floor. Yeah. And it basically, just to carry with that train of thought, it's getting back to that 2019, 2020, when that team was firing all cylinders. I mean, it was all Luca, but Luca's pretty good. Luca's pretty good. <laughs> so that's okay. And it was basically that team was uh Luca surrounded by at least three shooters, uh an elite rim runner, and if not, then four shooters. You have a floor spacing center, so you always uh have a you know, the other team's big, depending on how the other team plays, stretching the floor in ways that not a lot of other teams can do. Uh and it was just wear these teams out with with Luca getting downhill in a bunch of space and a bunch of shooters that are willing to shoot and enough shooters that are willing to shoot and shoot just good enough that it kind of breaks everything like remember the biggest concern we had before the 2019-2020 season was like man they don't they don't have any shooters like you know this was before Tim Hardaway Jr. exploded and before mm-hmm. Dorian Finney-Smith and Max Kleba set career highs like I mean this team outside of Seth Curry and Kristaps, we there were no proven shooters on this roster, and that was one of the reasons I think both of us were were pretty worried about how the season could play out. And then it turned out like you know, three is worth more than two, and right. even these even when they were shooting thirty five percent, the volume and the quality, like I mean, Luca was not just generating threes; they were generating like these guys are getting wide open practice shots with the way they're running offense and with the you know to be frank the way the defense wanted to play them you know how they would play a Dorian Finney-Smith versus a Kristaps it was very apparent but the Mavericks capitalized on that and they're like man you know 
if even if they're league average, we're going to shoot so many threes that the math over the course of a long, a long regular season is going to win out. And I think that's exactly what happened, even with the injuries. Like, and then, you know, it helps that a guy like Dorian and a guy like Maxine, a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr., oh, they all happen to have career high shooting marks. And you can even survive a Kristaps who didn't shoot terribly well from three that season, given his pedigree, or at least what we thought was his pedigree. But just the spacing alone, even when he wasn't hitting shots, was was valuable. And the Mavericks mm-hmm. were just a well-oiled machine where everyone knew their role. There was, you know, I know that there was some Kristaps butting heads, but I think when things were clicking, uh, that wasn't really much of a problem. And then everyone else down the line was like, they had no problem with their job because that's their skill. Like, you know, you're not, Dorian Finney-Smith is not going to be pissed off. He's not running pick and rolls. Uh, you know, like he's, he's, he knows his bread is buttered by catching and shooting threes. And that's what mm-hmm. Tim knew. And that's what Seth knew. Like, that's what all these guys knew. And, you know, coincidentally, the only guy that I don't think knew that was Delon Wright. And I think they had different amb- ambitions for him and he just didn't fit which is kind of funny he was the one guy who wasn't just a a catch and shoot guy and and of course he didn't really work out that season so i think that's what they're trying to do with this roster i mean it's basically the 2019 2020 roster but instead of seth and delon wright you have reggie and and you have reggie bullock and sterling brown who you know obviously seth is a great shooter but you would you would take sterling brown uh 10 times out of 10 over delon wright in terms of a spot-up shooter uh, you're taking away Josh Richardson, um, who I can't emphasize enough, was just not a good fit for the Mavericks offensively. Uh, they still played well with him on the floor in the regular season, but you, you just watch it and it just didn't work. And the Mavericks had the eighth best offense last season, despite you know Josh Richardson playing a ton of minutes and a lot of in a variety of lineups, uh, especially starting lineups. And you take him out, you put Bullock in, who can hit close to 40% of his threes on, on six or seven attempts a game. I mean, why not? I mean, it's the 2019, 2020 team set the record. You're basically taking that team and the shooting is not, I would say the shooting, even with Seth out, I think it's still a net gain. And when you consider Dorian and Tim and Maxi are more, are better shooters than they were in that season. Like I don't see how they're not, you know, unless Jason Kidd messes up the spacing and guys are standing in weird spots I don't see how they don't at least finish top two. Like, I mean, like this is how the team's built. It's Luca, and it's, he's going to be surrounded by three or four well, shooters, and I, they're going to the regular season at least. It's it's going to be a machine. I think sure. we have to play. I think I have to play devil's advocate here because some of Jason Kidd's comments in media day <laughs> yes. and moving forward have talked about how. Luca or the Mavericks. I'm not, I don't remember the specifics, but it was basically like Luca needs to get the ball out of his hands more and let his teammates do more. My beef with this particular line of thinking is that we have seen the Mavericks without Luca. So I'm not entirely sure what they think they're going to be doing. Does, do we mean more Luca off ball action where he is coming off screens, where he's posting? And the answer is yes, they should post him a hell of a lot more than they did. Um, I'm not really sure what some of this means because, and I mean this with all due respect to the other players, and, and we have people in the comments where it's like, it's not just Luca and garbage. And it's like, that's not what we mean. But the Mavericks don't have other ball handlers that are dynamic enough to run an offense. It is the, you know, it's it's the thing that we have criticized them for not patching that hole. 
Love me some Tim Hardaway, but Tim Hardaway's job is to shoot. Same with Jalen Brunson to a degree. Maybe I'll be proven wrong there. So I think if the Mavericks aren't going to be, I think honestly what they're going to do these first 20 games is they're going to try to showcase Porzingis more than they've ever showcased him before. And it's going to be really evident to people who have watched the team and watched Porzingis for a while that he is just not as dynamic as they insist he is. And and he insists that he is. That's not his fault. It's just there's like a myth around Porzingis that came out of, of, of like 15 games in 2015. And I hate to tell everyone this. 2015 was a long time ago. And we just need to to kind of move on from it. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe they'll come out and do exactly what you're talking about. That's what they should do. But I, there's just too much talk about doing things differently for them to to play this way, at least right off the bat. What do you think? Right. And I mean, kid flat out said, I mean, didn't kid say in a presser that like no shot for Perzingis is a bad shot? Like, which is bullshit. Right? There's plenty <laughs> of bad shots for Perzingis. Most yeah. shots are actually bad for Perzingis. He's not very efficient. Like he looked, right. he looked really good in the fan jam. Like lots of not to be, not to be too, too critical, but part of Porzingis's problem for years is that he makes the move that looks good and not the correct move. And in fan jam, there were three or four times from the highlights that I saw where he just like got the ball, took one dribble and scored. Now they're not playing light defense. It's whatever. But when you're seven, three and can move fast in a straight line, you're hard to guard. Like Porzingis makes himself easy to guard for years because he's so mechanical. And I just, I don't know what they're going to do with this. I my, That's just my theory is that they're going to highlight him. And maybe if they've told him quit the Carmelo Anthony horse shit and just put the ball in the basket, Maybe we'll actually get some interesting things here because one thing I was thinking about while you were talking, and I know we got to move on because we got a few more things we want to cover, but I don't know. I'd be curious, like, what are the best Porzingis and Luka games together? Because honestly, I don't remember them having more than maybe 10 games together the last several years where both of them looked outstanding and dynamic on offense. Like there was the Pelicans game where Porzingis just bombed from downtown. There was a couple of games in the bubble, and I would argue the 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 maybe it was game two against the Clippers. Um there just haven't been that many games. It's kind of a he it's it's kind of a my turn, your turn type thing with Luca getting most of the turns because Luca's better. Yeah, uh, I think if I could probably pick some examples after Dwight Powell got injured in the, mm, in the first mm-hmm. stop season where things okay. clicked, and it was it was less my turn, your turn, and it was more oh wow he's actually setting screens he's not just spotting up oh, he's okay. getting touches at the elbow but they're not post up touches they're like you know dribble handoffs and he's and maybe that's the stuff involved. we need to see more of yes you know yeah I, I don't mind Kristaps shooting against a smaller defender. I mind it when he's doing a back down for, for eight seconds and does, <laughs> and does a fade, but we've seen him get that, that catch against a smaller defender after Luca pick and roll at the nail or the elbow. And he just turns and shoots and he, yep. and he's pretty good at that. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I would want to see. He doesn't need to put the ball on the floor all the time. Like you said, he needs to be like a one dribble uh, and then finish, whether that's finish at the rim or finish uh, with a jumper. And I think he's always been much better that way. And yep. I so there's a there's there's a path for for Kristaps if he's able to to get his points and for for Luca to still be Luca. Hope now I don't know if they're gonna follow that that blueprint from from after Dw- Dwight Powell got hurt and hell Powell's gonna start and that changes things a lot. So we'll see. 
Okay, well, that allows us to pivot, and you have two more questions which you're going to attempt to answer. Um, if we're lucky, we will get to those and probably talk about them on a podcast Sunday night, maybe, because we yes. have games Wednesday and Friday, and I think you're going to try to finish them so we can run them Thursday and Friday. Yes. Um, but I'm, you know, we'll see what we get to. It's okay. We have a ton of content on MavsMoneyBall.com, which I wanted to pivot to, to three more articles that were written. We have a a a you know three more kind of rollish players. The big offseason addition first is Reggie Bullock and Matt Gilroy uh, wrote a nice kind of summary of, of what's going on with Bullock and where he is. And I think to me, uh, the question is, does Reggie Bullock add to the rotation enough to where it allows door? Cause I think he's going to come in, he's going to shoot six plus threes a game. He's going to defend as well as he can. And I'm not sure how many minutes he's actually going to play. I think it'll probably be a bit of an experiment. And I think the question for me is, does he allow Dorian Finney Smith and Maxi Kleba and some of the other, like, does he allow those guys to play whatever they do? four to five fewer minutes a game. Can we get other people's minutes under control relative to last season where, where Carlisle played basically seven and a half guys from February on yes. like the, and it just, it like Maxi Klebo was, was toast. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of upsetting because I think Maxi kind of gets overrated at times by Mavs fans, but Mavs also asked way too much of him. So, you know, Bullock, his season should be, he's going to shoot the ball. Well, he's not going to dribble. And I think he's going to defend and probably bring a really good, uh, you know, not to steal a line from Jalen Brunson, but I think he's going to bring a great vibe to this team. Yeah, I do too. Um, I'm a little concerned that it sounds like he might be coming off the bench. And I know that might be semantics. Like as long as he's finishing games, that it doesn't. Right. How it's much like does Seth it really... Curry thing where it's like, right. okay, play him with, with fucking Luka Doncic already. Stop Ver- pulling this shit right and then like yeah if he finishes the games then it's it's not a big deal but it's a big deal to me because quite frankly i think he's a better player than dorian so like the idea that dorian is starting over him is just kind of weird to me um no offense to dorian i just you know i mean dorian shoots four threes a game at 37 38 39 he's bullock is over six at 37 to 40 like it's it's a different, and I know right. that doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it is a lot. Um, you know, Bullock has scored double figures in like multiple seasons. I don't think Dorian has averaged double figures ever in his career. And I know we're we're kind of the numbers are close, and we're and, you know we're 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 picking nits a little bit, but it matters. And then I also think he's just a better defender, at least a one on one defender. Uh, so I I hope he starts, and I hope he plays a lot and like he's like like you said i agree that hopefully you know his presence just makes things should make things a lot easier like dorian doesn't have to be the best defender every time he steps on the floor maxi doesn't have to be the guy that guards Kawhi leonard in the playoffs anymore like good lord like just bullock being on the uh, on the roster just for that is is praise enough uh and like you said uh, don't get too carried away he's still just a catch and shoot standstill shooter he had 93% of it or 92% of his goals assisted last season. Like he is not the savior in terms of weaning Luca off the ball. He is, he is, he is like a plus Dorian Finney Smith uh, all the way through. So, uh, you know, that's how Mavs fans should see him. Very valuable addition. Mm-hmm. And he's going to help this team win games, but he's not going to change how this team wins games. If that yep. Makes sense. 
sense. Yep, it does. It does. And, you know, I, I'm jumping ahead because I wrote the Maxi Kleba preview. It's not, going <laughs> up for like a, it's, it's not going up for like a week. But to me, one of the biggest benefits of adding having another guy like this is they pulled Maxi Kleba away from the rim where he was so good his first two seasons. And they've yes. almost required him to be a wing defender because he's good at it. But because he's good at that, it's taken away from the other things he's good at. Which, if you can, if 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 you can use him as a defender because you want to, not because you need to, on the wing, I think that changes things over the course of the season. Okay, the next guy, um, um, and we'll circle back to that later. The next guy we're going to talk about real quick, um, because he's, I, I just don't think there's much to say, even though we love <laughs> him. Boban Marjanovic is back with the Mavericks, and he is purely a vibes player, um. If the Mavericks are playing him, the reasons they're playing him are because they need to change. Like he's a there's been a catastrophic failure. Either a catastrophic failure, or they need to do something that is like he is like the ultimate change of pace player. Where you throw him in, and then you have to use him on offense. You have to center everything around him. And can you steal seven minutes to change the trajectory of a game by getting him? you know, four straight touches in the post and forcing the other team to call a timeout. Like between that and his wonderful personality, he doesn't really bring much to a team, like in terms of X's and O's, at least in my opinion. No, you're right. I, I don't really have much to disagree with you there. He's totally break glass in case of emergency type player. Um, unfortunately, that was used way too much in the playoffs last year, but sure. they kind of didn't have a choice because Chris Stubbs couldn't couldn't guard a paper bag at the rim uh, for, for parts of that series. So they kind of had to get, they had to stop the layup line and and you put two seven footers on the floor, even if they're not mobile, that that'll help things. And, and like you said, it's frustrating when he gets into games and, and he kind of gets a lot, like his usage rate is really funny. I think he, I think he's one of the few Mavericks last season that had a usage rate over 20%. Uh, you, Cause you kind of have to, right? Because if he's mm-hmm. not being used, what's the point of him being on the floor? He's not spacing, you know, he's not a great uh, defender because teams just kind of uh, spin him around, put him in the spin cycle. Cause he's, cause he's like eight feet tall and weighs yep. 400 pounds. Like it's yep. hard for the human body to move. So, so yeah, I agree with you. Good on the team. If he's, if he's a guy that it sounds like he legitimately makes that locker room a better place to be in. And uh, sometimes that's worth uh, an NBA contract for sure. Well, then the last guy we have to talk about is somebody that I can just, he's going to become a cult favorite if he sticks with the team for very long. Uh, Moses Brown, former UCLA player. He is 21 years old for the next six, seven days, seven days. He turns 22 on October 13th. Um, He has played for a number of teams already. He was, he started off with the trailblazers where my friend Sean Hyken said he was honestly one of the worst basketball players he's ever seen. Then he spent a lot of time with the Thunder last year where he racked up a lot of junk time stats. With his time with the Mavericks so far, where he is really standing out to people who are kind of overanalyzing practice clips, is the dude loves to board, and he is absolutely fucking enormous. I mean, he <laughs> is, like, we just got done talking about Boban. Like, Boban's just big for a human. For a basketball player, like Moses Brown is seven two with a seven three wingspan. He is an archetypal like nineteen nineties style center that would have he can't guard anybody in the post, but he's just 
he would have been like the kind of guy that teams slobbered over a decade ago. And now because post players and centers are just not what they used to be, there's kind of a dime a dozen, to be honest. He's going to bounce around from team to team unless the Mavericks see something really special in him. Um, I don't want to get too high or too low on him because I don't think he's really going to play that much. But I did, I, I do like what I see when you see these clips where you see a guy who plays really hard. And that's yes. often a problem. That's that's often a problem for big men. Right. And the like of all of the stats, you know, he you like you said, he played 21 minutes a game for 43 games with an Oklahoma City team that did not care about winning any basketball games whatsoever. Um, the one thing though, that is really nice about that, is, uh, about his, his season last year was the rebounding. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I don't think you can fake on a, even on a bad team, uh, uh you know, you could put up shots, get up a bunch of shots on a bad team and inflate your, 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 your points, or maybe even your assists. If you want to pass rebound a lot. hustle stat, yeah, right. Rebounds yeah. Are, are pretty real, like across the board, you know? college rebounders whether they matter is a different question but right they are real yeah yeah Yeah. like uh, i'm not like if he played 20 minutes a game the first week of the season i'm i would not you know he's gonna get nine to ten rebounds a game like that's just and hey the mavericks could use that so you know that's something that you know another break glass in case of emergency i'm just glad it's a young you know he's 21 on a great contract really uh, great just that preposterous right like they could really like if he if he gives them like 10% of his potential, he's already a, like a win. Um, I am getting a little sick of, you know, seeing him with Tyson Chandler and, and people on Twitter thinking, thinking some crazy thoughts. Well, the, um, the one comp I really loved, this is not, this is a terrible comp, but I love it all the same. Someone said he, you know, what if he's like Clint Capella? And <laughs> okay, <laughs> here's why Clint Capella was terrible for a long time like he had like he couldn't get in shape the rockets were just constantly beating on him and then like six years later he's all of a sudden a huge competent center and i know that stretch is preposterous but the reason i throw it out there is it's just like if you're going to invest in someone then you have to understand with this kind of player a 21 year old center the returns are not happening in the way that you might think for at least two years. Like this is a, if he's going to be a project with the Mavericks, then he's going to be a project. And I don't think they have the patience for that. Yeah. And to be devil's advocate, uh, Capella was still like, he was a first round pick. So sure. like, he had, like, you know, Moses Brown was a second rounder. Like it, there's a little bit different pedigree, Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah. but you're also right. It's, you know, it's, it's going to take time. And that's the one thing that kind of sucks about being a young player on a team with Luka Doncic. If you're not ready to play, I don't know where you're going to get that developmental time. Um, yeah. So, so that's a tough part. But he is at, you know, with his contract and his age and his measurables and the fact that like it's not a joke to play the mount that he played last season and right. at least do do things occasionally, like whether it, ma- it mattered or not. Like at least he did them. I mean, good lord, we've seen we've seen players get those minutes and they don't do anything. Yep. <laughs> and so, like, at least he did. Like, he he's intriguing in terms of like, you know, if the Mavericks are trying to make a trade, I'm not saying he's gonna, he's like a huge trade chip, but he could help maybe grease a wheel, get something over the finish line because at least he's like, there's something that other teams could look at and be like, 
there's there's something there. Like I don't know what's there and how much of it's going to be there, but he's at least flashed just enough that that keeping him and, and investing something into him in terms of development and and, and maybe playing time if if he can ever get some playing time would make some sense so like it's good to have like i'm glad he's on the roster and not you know like a 35 or 36 year old like it's good to have these types of guys on your roster he'll at least make practice more competitive because he's probably the type of guy that's gonna that wants to get minutes and the way you get minutes is playing your ass off so like that's gonna be good for the team too uh so you know let's just like you said it should be cool let's be cool about this uh, and, and see what happens. Do you want to know my, my favorite Moses Brown stat is that NBA 2K had him ranked uh, as an overall rating of 77, which made him the seventh or the fifth best Mavericks player. <laughs> um, and I talked to some people who kind of to, like who really dive into the ratings, um, and they say that's because of his counting stats. Like they, they right. tend to overrate counting stats, which just made me laugh. So if yeah. all you took 2K kids out there really, ah, you know, just got to give them some patience. Well, this has been wonderful and exactly what I had hoped for. Um, those of you who will be listening to this uh, will either be late night people on Tuesday night. The Mavericks play a game on Wednesday night, which I will be writing about, and then we will record a show after, and then I will probably do a green room. Um, just to, that I'll that I'll post at a later date. So you'll probably have like Mavs Moneyball content in your feed if you're interested. Uh, probably like you know four to four or five out of the next seven days um you know and then they there's a little bit of a break then they play two more preseason games for only four total and then the season starts uh roughly two weeks from now so you know we're in a we're in a nice spot we're in a we're in a really nice spot and like i said i think uh, everybody should really you know try to be coming to our pages and reading like we're sharing stuff you know throughout the day where we have a bunch of scheduled content but we're also posting news as it comes up um, so I really recommend for, for long time, you know, listeners, you know, become readers and also, you know, consider downloading green room. I'm going to be using that regularly. I have a great time talking with people, even people who, um, are probably irritated with me. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, do you got anything else before we skedaddle? No, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Let's, let's just keep the, keep the content train moving. Yeah, you know, we're having fun. It's uh, this yeah. is you know we we suffered for for the people <laughs> who listen to this kind of podcast. Like, unlike Kings fans, you know, it's not like we've had like seventeen years of ineptitude. But right. you know, the Dennis Smith rookie year by like game forty five, there was just nothing else to say. But it, you know, this is the the last last year and this year the years that you're fans for because things can go bad really quickly. And I think this year is going to be <laughs> a pretty fun year. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, Kirk Henderson, Josh Bow, please leave us a review, uh, share, tell your friends, all that good stuff. We will come back to you when we come back to you. Everyone have a great week.